Baptist Church. Excited to see everybody this morning. Please find your seats. Sorry to break up the fellowship. Please find your hymn books and turn your hymn books to 579. 579, the lily of the valley. Stand with me if you are able. The lily of the valley, 579. I have found a friend in Jesus, he's everything to me. He's the fairest of 10,000 to my soul. My comfort in trouble, he's my stay. He tells me everywhere he's on to roll. Hallelujah, he's the lily of the valley. Illumined morning star, he's the fairest of ten thousand to my soul. He all my griefs has taken, and all my sorrows born. In temptation, he's my strong and mighty tower. I have all for him forsaken, and all my idols torn. From my parting now he keeps me by his power. Though all the world forsake me, and Satan tempt me sore, through Jesus I shall safely reach the shore. Hallelujah, he's the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star. He's the fairest of ten thousand to my soul. He will never, never leave me, nor yet forsake me here, while I live by faith and do his blessed will. A wall of fire about me, I've nothing now to fear. With his manna he my hungry soul shall fill. Then weeping up to glory to see his blessed face, where rivers of delight shall ever roll. Hallelujah, he's the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star. He's the fairest of ten thousand to my soul. Miss Randy, would you pray for us? Amen. Please stay standing with me and turn your hymn books to 482. 482. Faith is the victory. Amen. 482. And camped along the hills of life. The Christian soldiers rise and press the battle ere the night shall veil the glowing skies. Against the foe in veils below, let all our strength be hurled. Faith is the victory we know that overcomes the world. Victory. 
victory. Faith is the victory. That overcomes the world. Sinner over us in love. Our sword, the word of God. We tread the road, the saints above, with shouts of triumph trod. By faith they like a whirlwind's breath, swept on or every field. The faith by which they conquered death is still our shining shield. Faith is the victory. Faith is the victory. Oh, what is victory that overcomes the world? On every hand the foe we find drawn up in dread array. Let tens of these be left behind and onward to the fray. Salvation's helmet on each head with truth all gird about. The earth shall turn beneath our tread and echo with our shout. Raymond shall begin before the angels we shall know his name confessed in heaven then onward from the hills of light our hearts with love aflame will vanquish all the hopes of night in Jesus conquering name a victory, faith is a victory, oh glorious victory that overcomes the world. Amen. Overcome the world takes faith, everybody. You may be seated. All right. We'll have Pastor come up, do announcements. All right, just a couple of announcements for this morning. Uh, first off, um, this Saturday, I think this Saturday, we're actually going to be around, so that stands true. We will go out, do outreach at 9.30 a.m. I don't think we have anything going on, so it seems like every Saturday we've tried to do it lately, there's been something that's come up or something going on, so that'll be the plan for this Saturday. Um, also, um, last Saturday of the month, men's prayer breakfast, 7.30 a.m. right here for those who can come. We also have um, our spring revival meeting. It will be May 7th through 10th. So it's going to start on a Sunday, go through Wednesday. Um, so that will be here pretty soon. And then lastly, continue praying about our building project. This afternoon after lunch, um, I, I don't believe it's supposed to get rainy until tonight or tomorrow, but after lunch we're going to go out. We had it all staked out, but some kiddos, I think, pulled the stakes, the flags. <laughs> so, but I think 
uh, we can get them pretty close. So I'll send one of my boys up for my tape measure at, during lunch, and then I'll just throw them back up real quick. I, I remember roughly where they were, so it won't take long. It'll take me like five minutes. I'll have the flag roughly where they were, <laughs> and then we'll uh, and then we'll go from there. But that'll be that'll be good. So my plans were for the afternoon service. We'll go out, just kind of. We won't be able to see where all the rooms and everything's going to be yet until the new design is is drawn. But we'll be able to see kind of roughly where the building's going to sit, kind of have an idea of what the layout will be. And then I just wanted to take some time to pray, have some of the folks, we'll just kind of go around, have different folks pray, and we're just going to ask God to, to bless and to continue to lead and to provide and to just help us accomplish what he has called us to do, what he's leading us to do. So, And I have no doubt he's going to, I have no doubt he will, um, but I also don't want to take for granted and you know, I can stand up here and I can preach and preach and talk and talk, but really what I have to say doesn't matter. We just want God's wisdom, his leadership, his guidance. You know, we read in James this morning, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God who give it to all men liberally. And, uh, well, we want to keep asking God for wisdom and guidance and all those things. So um, we'll take time to do that this afternoon. That'll be our afternoon service. I just really felt yesterday like... That's what the Lord was leading to do. Our theme this year is by faith. I'm going to preach on faith this morning. Um, and, uh, you know, I just sense as it's getting closer, we need to keep that in front of us. So probably next week we'll be back in Ephesians. But for today, we're going to, we're going to strong in faith. That's what we're going to look at out of Romans. So, all right. That's all I have for announcements this morning. Ushers, come on down. I always want to say, come on down, you're the next contestants on the, I don't know why, it's, a, it's what I hear every time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, and Meme and Pepe, was, you know, that's what they had on in their room many times when they were living with us, so. Yeah, right. All right, Caleb, go ahead and pray for us, bud. Yes, sir. God, thank you for this wonderful day, Lord. Uh, thank you for this wonderful day, Lord. Uh, thank you for the visitors today, Lord. Now please bless the
on your bike, you could all stand out one last time and turn your hymn books to 75. Rejoice in the Lord. Turn your hymn books to number 75. 75. Mm. So this is a song that I have uh, done, uh, I feel like a hundred times, 
It is called Blessed Be the Name of the Lord by West Coast Baptist College. And uh, on my way to work, and many times for months, I've been listening to it, and uh, there's no music that you can get for it. Um, so I just I sang it in the out of the blue um, this week for my podcast, Teen Preacher, on what, after my sermons. And my dad, I let him listen to it before I uploaded it, just to make sure it sounded right. And he says, you can sing this on Sunday. And I'm like... Okay, and yeah, I jumped right on to that. I said, yeah, I'll sing that on Sunday. I'll sing that. It's an amazing song, and you know, I love singing, but I don't just love singing. I love singing to the Lord. Um, singing the songs of this world don't um, give me the pleasure like singing to my Lord. There's nothing like it. I love praising Him. And this song came after um, the verse that um, this song was based off of is in Job chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. It says, Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped, and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Um, a man with such faith in God, he had so much, and God took it all away. Um, took all his children, his all his riches, everything he had, God. God took it all. Um, God took it all away, and what did he still do? He still worshipped God, and he said, "Blessed be the name of the Lord." And he says, "God has given; He God has taken away," and that's basically what the song is about. I'm not just going to get the words real quick, just in case I uh, I uh, lose them in a moment. All right, there's nothing. As the <clears throat> sorry, that was a bad start. <laughs> I guess my uh, allergies spike up when I'm nervous. <laughs> uh, you tell I'm nervous. Okay. All right, thank you. Um, <clears throat> all right, try it again. <laughs> As the sun rose that morning on the day of Job's trial, he rose up to serve God as any other day. Bound and determined to live in God's favor, and nothing would stand in his way. Then the messengers came one by one with their stories. In just a few moments, Job lost all he had. Great wealth and riches and the health of his body, and even his children were dead. The Lord giveth, he taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I served him before and I'll serve him today. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job's wife came before him to voice her opinions. She said, you should end it. Just curse God and die. Job rose from the ashes and looked toward the heavens. He brushed back the tears in his eyes. He said, The Lord giveth, he taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I served him before and I'll serve him today. Blessed be the name of the Lord. When troubles come silently, Blessed be the name, when storms blow violently, 
Blessed be the name when Satan comes oppressing me. Blessed be the name. I will still serve God faithfully. Blessed be the name. The Lord giveth, he taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I served him before and I'll serve him today. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I'll tell you, it's hard to sing when you got a piano or a guitar <laughs> or something like that, but to sing a cappella is a whole new level of hard. You don't have anything to kind of keep you in key and to match up with, so. That's a blessing, Elijah. You did a great job, bud. I think this has to clip on the opposite side every single week. It's never the same. Someone comes in here, Caleb. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I know it's you. No, I'm just kidding. All right, we're going to be in Romans chapter 4. For a second, I started to panic that I gave the wrong verse up there. Romans chapter number 4. It can be a hard thing to do to still praise God, to still bless His name even when things are hard, even when things aren't going our way. And it actually worked out that went along with Sunday school as well. And uh, it's a blessing. <clears throat> All right, we're actually going to read, I put verse 17 up there, but we're actually going to read verse 16 to 25. I changed my mind. So let's go ahead and stand together out of respect for the reading of God's Word. We'll read our passage, and then we will pray and be seated. Romans chapter number 4, verses beginning in verse 16, right down through the end of the chapter. It says, Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace. For the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed. Not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations, before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body, now dead, when he uh, was about an hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of goodness, Sarah's womb. I can't keep my lines from crossing. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. And therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us, us also to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Let's go ahead and pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this tremendous passage that records not 
Paul's testimony, not Abraham's testimony, not someone else's testimony, but your testimony of the faith of Abraham. And God, might it be a challenge to us. It's been a challenge to me, and I pray will continue to be a challenge to me, to have the faith of this man Abraham and be strong in faith. Lord, we live in a time and we are endeavoring to start up a project that is going to require great faith, Lord, not just on my part, but on our church's part. We will all need to exercise great faith. At times this may get hard, it may get difficult, but Lord, we have to just trust you each and every step of the way. And I pray, Lord, you'd help me to lead in that and to be faithful and to be full of faith, Lord, just trusting you to carry us through and see this thing to the end. And Lord, we just ask you to work this morning to apply your word to our hearts and to speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're working on, yeah, just kind of said it in my prayer, to break ground in a couple of months. It's hard to believe we're in mid-April now. That's what we're going to call it, uh, mid-April. And we still have to get through uh, to sometime in June. I don't know when Brother Ronald's going to come, if it'll be early June or if it'll be mid or late June. I don't know, but he said June he should be able to get here to put the slab in. Uh, so that's a, big, that's a big step. So we're getting ready to do that come June. He's led us to do this. And in that, he's also led us to this theme this year, by faith, because that's how we're going to have to accomplish what it is that we're setting out to do. Uh, you know, I don't know how long the project will take. It might take us a year, might take us a year and a half, might take us six months for us to have it done. Ideally, it'll take us just, you know, three, four months to get it closed up before it gets too cold, but we'll get it, you know, we'll have it ready and be able to keep picking through the winter on the inside anyways. That's the plan. And, uh, you know, Sometimes we think we can do everything ourselves. We can do everything in our own strength. Sometimes I think that. I'm like, I can do it. Probably one of my weakest things in ministry is asking or letting people do things <laughs> because I feel like I should do it all. You know, that's just me. I feel like I'm supposed to do everything. But something I'm realizing as we're approaching this building project is I can't. <laughs> I am just not able to do everything. Uh, even though I want to because I don't want to put anyone out. I don't want to ask anyone to do anything. I don't want to burden anybody else. I feel like I should just do it all and then take it off of everyone else's plate. But I'm realizing, man, I didn't expect this. I'm realizing I can't do that. And that applies to many areas of life. Uh, sometimes we think we can't or we don't know how. We don't know uh, if we can accomplish it. Sometimes we think if we do not have the means, then we can't do it. Well, I don't have the money. I don't have the means. We don't have the, you know, we don't have the workers. We don't have every, everything we need lined up and in place. And, uh, you know, we kind of touched on this in Sunday school this morning. If we had all that stuff lined up before we start, you know what that would be? Walking by faith. Uh, walking by sight. Forgive me. Not walking by faith. But not having everything lined up, not being able to see, okay, this is going to work here, and this is going to happen here, and, and having it all planned and lined up before even starting, uh, that's walking by faith. We've got to trust God that we don't have it all, we don't have everything lined up, we don't have everything planned, but that He is going to provide. Uh, and when we learn the faith life, uh, it can change our life. 
It can make our life so much easier in the sense that we don't worry and fear and fret because we just know God's in control. He is sovereign. He's going to take care of it. And that's tough. You know what, you know what we can do? <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with me this morning. <clears throat> you know what we can do with that? We can rest. Don't you like to rest every once in a while? <laughs> when we're not living by faith, we can't rest because we're putting all this pressure and we have all this care and all this worry and it causes us to be just stressed and under all this pressure and you know we're going to give ourselves a heart attack or at the very least high blood pressure and, and cause all these problems. But when we just have faith, we can rest. And no, you know what? I don't have to have this. God does. You know, I don't have to have it all in con under control. God's got it under control. And sometimes, you know, my own testimony, sometimes my mind goes a million miles a minute thinking, but there's all these things we got to do. I'm not just talking about building projects, sometimes just life. You know, we got all these things to do, and I got to plan it all out and organize it all. And I will confess, I'm not a very good organizer. My wife is an amazing organizer, but I'm not a very good organizer. So just like all this stuff, and it can become overwhelming. And, you know, my response to that sometimes when I get overwhelmed is to just shut down. And you go, all right, I'm done. I can't do it. I'm done. i got to stop. But, you know, uh, that's not the right, right way to be. And uh, I have to keep reminding myself, God, I talked a little bit in Sunday school about being faithful what makes someone faithful, yes, it is being full of faith. But the fruit of faithfulness is that we keep moving forward. That we keep taking that next step, even though we can't see two steps ahead, or three steps ahead, or five, or ten. We trust God with that next step, and we just take that next one. All right, God, you got me here. Here we go again. <sighs> take another one. And God wants us to learn over time that it gets, it should, life isn't going to get easier. The trials are not going to get easier. The hardships may not get easier, but stepping by faith should get easier. God wants us to learn how to do that more consistently and more easily. It's us that resists that and fights that. So what we should do is plan what we can plan, know what we can know, and leave the rest to God. And that's that's what he wants us to do. So Galatians 3.9 says of faithfulness, nope, it says of Abraham, so then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. So we're going to look at Abraham. I want to call him Fabraham because he is a faithful Abraham. So we're going to talk about Fabraham this morning. I'm just kidding. Faithful Abraham. Genesis chapter 17.5, if you'll turn over here with me. Our passage in Romans begins in verse 17 with the statement, it is written, as it is written, which tells us that what's about to be stated points us backwards to something that's already been said. In Genesis 17 and verse number 5, it says, Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham, for a father of many nations have I made. Excuse me. So it's a promise that God made. Elijah, can you pass me those tissues right there, bud? 
My eyes got weepy, now my nose is getting weepy. Tends to follow suit, doesn't it? <laughs> Next time, Caleb, I do that. Mute the mic, would you? I don't know what it's going to sound like out there in YouTube land, but <laughs> I just happened to think of that after it was too late. All right, so God made Abraham a promise. He promised him that he would be a father of many nations. Our passage in Romans verse chapter 4, 17, as it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. God made that promise. He intended to keep it. In verse 16 of chapter 4, it says, therefore it is of faith. What's he talking about? Well, he's talking about salvation here, uh, but this whole passage is dealing with faith. It's using it to illustrate salvation, but I believe it also illustrates Abraham's faith and the results of his faith. Therefore, it is a faith that it might be by grace. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So we understand salvation is by faith. We've talked about that many times. But it's by faith for a reason. It says here it is by faith that it might be by grace. Because if it wasn't by faith, then it would have to be by what? Works, right? And we know what Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So what is it? It is by grace, which is unmerited favor. It's something that is given to us that we haven't earned, that we don't deserve. That's what grace is. And the truth is, it couldn't be by works because we couldn't afford to pay for the blood of Christ. We couldn't afford to pay for our own sins. We'd be paying for it for all of eternity. That would be the cost. So God has been good and gracious to us. If it was worked for, then we would have to we would have to earn it. Romans chapter 5, if you look with me beginning in verse 12, it speaks a little bit further on this. It says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Who was that man that brought sin into the world? Adam, right? Adam brought sin into the world. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Now, now that there is a law, we understand what sin is. We know what it is because of the law. It's our schoolmaster. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even after them that had not sinned, after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. Adam was the first man to bring sin into the world. Christ is the first man to bring righteousness into the world, and it, will, it can be imputed to all men through Christ, just as sin is imputed to all men through Adam. Verse 15, but not as the offense, so also is the, notice this word, these two words, free gift. We're going to see free gift and gift a number of times here. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. Justification means made just as if we were never sinners. Not just never sinned, but we're never sinners, like Adam. Just as if we never had that sin nature that Adam passed down to us. Verse 17, For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, 
Much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one, that's Adam, judgment came upon all men to, the condemnate, to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. Now let me tell you, sin is passed to all men through our father Adam. Righteousness can be passed to us through Jesus Christ when we place our faith in Him. So we can go from sin to sinful to righteous, condemned to justified through faith in Jesus Christ. But it's passed from Adam to all mankind. It can be passed from Christ to anyone who places their faith and trust in Him. It's a gift. That's what this passage keeps telling us. And We'll stop there for now, but you could read more. It continues to address gift and free gift further down. So, I wonder if I... Sorry about that. I skipped some stuff here. There we go. God gives grace as a result of our faith. How do I receive the free gift? How do I, how do I get God's grace? Faith. Now, grace is available for a number of different circumstances. Salvation, we know, is by grace. We talked about this morning. The Apostle Paul said, I think it's in 1 Corinthians, but it might be 2nd, I can't remember. He talks about the thorn in the flesh and how he sought God thrice. That means three times he asked God to remove this thorn in the flesh, which he admitted was a, uh, was a uh, how did he refer to it? It was from Satan anyways, and he said Satan was buffeting him. And that word buffet we talked about is to strike to hit. It's to make his life hard. It's to make his life difficult. Well, you know what God said to Paul after he asked him three times to remove the thorn in the flesh? He says, my grace is sufficient for thee. He says, my grace is enough for you to help you live your life and stay faithful through this trial with this thorn in your flesh. I'm not going to remove it. You're going to live the rest of your life with it. And you're going to learn to rely on my grace to help you live and do what you got to do with this thorn. Uh, you know, that's, that's a tough lesson to learn sometimes. How do I keep going on with this thorn in my flesh? Well, my grace is sufficient for thee. You know what Paul said? Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in infirmities. That's what, that the power of God may rest upon me, right? I think I might have missed a little bit, and there's more after that, but yeah, he learned. I, I would rather have God's power on my life through my infirmities than have my own strength and life be easy, because he knew that God's power would take him much further than his own strength. God's strength could take him much further. All right, Romans 4, 8 to 12 says, this is leading up to the passage, our, our main text for this morning. It says, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. And that word impute, I thought I put it in my notes, but I don't see it here. It's in there somewhere. I'm just going to get ahead of myself. It's to apply or to charge, like to have sin imputed to us means it's charged to our account. So when God looks at the account of our life, He can see, oh, there's sin. That sin condemns us to eternity in hell even if it's just one. James says, if you're guilty of one, you're guilty of all. I think I'm, that's actually a different passage. I forget exactly how James... If you offend in one point, you're guilty of all. That's what James says. So, speaking about the law. So, uh, where were we? Verse 8. I'm all over the place. Sorry. 
Verse 9, cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only, that's the Jew, they were the sign of their, uh, of their covenant with God was circumcision, that was Old Testament, or upon the uncircumcision also, that's the Gentile, anyone who's not a Jew. For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. Okay, so Abraham was reconciled to be righteous because of his faith. That's kind of what we've been talking about here. How was it then reckoned, verse 10, when he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? Was it before he received the, the covenant or the mark of the covenant or after? Not in circumcision, it says, but in uncircumcision. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had yet being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not uncircumcised, uh, don't be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. Who? Those who are not Jews. And the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, which he had being yet uncircumcised. So before he received the mark of the covenant, of the Old Testament covenant, he already received the promise by faith. And I don't have time to deal with everything, but, you know, I don't know if you remember as kids, maybe some people, if you were in, like, children's church or VBS, we sang that song, Father Abraham had many sons. You ever hear that one? Many sons had Father Abraham, you know. So we used to do that song. I'm, I'm not going any further than that. <laughs> So we used to sing that song with the kids in junior church and stuff like that. And, and I always used to think, well, Father Abraham, he's really the father to the Jews, not to Christians. But we always sang it. Everyone loved it because it was so active and busy. But you know, according to the Bible, he's the father of us all. Genetically, genetically, he is the father of the Jew. Spiritually, he is the father of you and I. Because he's called the father because of his faith. Technically, Jacob's name was changed to Israel and kind of began that Israeli line. Yes, he was a grandson of Abraham, but Abraham is the father of many nations, and it was because of his faith and his example of faith that makes you and I his children of faith, not replacing Israel. That's where the struggle comes in, is we're not replacing Israel, it's not replacement theology. Sometimes you hear me talk about replacement theology, but when, I, when I'm talking about it in a positive light, it is that we replace our sins and our bad things with good things. That's good replacement theology. The replacement theology you'll usually hear talked about is that the church replaces Israel. That's not the case. I don't have time to get into all that this morning because we'll never get through the message, but we'll bump it and run. just wanted to touch on it. So back to verse 17 in Romans 4. It began. The first few verses we go pretty slow, but we are going to pick up steam here and we'll go through more later quicker. But for now, we're slow. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God. So what we see here is Abraham believed God. We already, I read in the beginning, even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. The last part of that verse, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. That's a pretty powerful statement 
John chapter 5, verse 21. John chapter 5 and verse number 21. It says, For as the Father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. We, we were, you know, we've been studying Ephesians on Sunday mornings. We were in this passage, I don't even remember when, several months ago, I think. In Ephesians 2, it deals with, uh, it deals with this quickening. It helps define it for us. It says, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Okay, so from that one verse, we could kind of come to, con- come to assume that quickened means that we were dead and we're not anymore. Uh, I mean, just you have the quickened who were, past tense, dead in your trespasses and sins. Why were we dead? Well, because of our trespasses and sins. We're talking spiritually here. Verse 2, wherein in time past... You walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, that's a great statement right there. Whenever we see those two words in the Bible, it means something good is coming. But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. So, Abraham, over in Romans, Abraham believed God, who quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Well, Abraham, I'm going to get ahead of myself, so slow down, Nathan. So God calls those that do not make a whole lot of sense. What do I mean by that? Well, he calls some people that it doesn't seem likely he would call them. Um, For instance, he called Paul. Paul was a murderer. He was persecuting the church. He was throwing Christians into prison. He was breaking up churches, trying to destroy them. The Christians were afraid of him, and yet God saves him and calls him into full-time ministry and used him to be really the first missionary and one of the greatest ministers, church planters, probably the greatest church planter ever known to man. God used him to, to pen over half the New Testament. He was a pretty unlikely character. He called Peter, who was at times overly emotional, and by overly emotional, I mean he reacted emotionally. When they came to take Christ, what did he do? (laughs) Cut the guy's ear off. Like, Christ standing right next to you, here's a whole army, and you're going to slice the guy's ear off? Really? What's that going to do? Get you killed too? I mean, doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but in his emotional reaction, the fisherman probably tried to take his head off and miss, and just got his ear. You know, I don't know how it happened, but he just... He reacted overly emotional. 
At times he was insecure. And sometimes, well, he jumped with the wrong reaction. That was because of his emotions. Over in 1 Corinthians 1, this is actually the passage that God used when I was struggling with whether or not God was really calling me into the ministry. This is the passage. Oh, I don't know what I just did. Oh. Oh, there it is. That's what I got to do. Oh, I went past it. Edit that out of the tape, would you, Caleb? <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. Sorry about that. All right, so this is the passage. I was struggling with my own insecurities and my own uh, shortcomings and inabilities and weaknesses. And here we're at church, at Church Hill. We'd only been going there for maybe six months. When we started going there, I was petrified of speaking in public and being in front of people and anything like that. And I remember we hadn't been going very long and it was really Erica because she had just graduated with her degree in early childhood development and elementary education. So we go there and of course the pastors at the church are like, praise the Lord, we got a kid, oh kid, pretty much. Uh, We've got this lady who just got her degree in teaching young kids. We can put her to work in children's ministry. Well, I just kind of went along, and if I'm honest, she pretty much ran things. I mean, even though I was the guy and was supposed to be leading in front of people, that's what happened, but in behind closed doors, she was running the show. I mean, she was planning everything, organizing it. If there was a message to be taught, I did that part, but as far as... So, we got involved... I think it started, we've been going there for three or four months, and they came to us and asked us if we would run Vacation Bible School. Like, that was our entrance into ministry. Could you guys run Vacation Bible School this summer? And I'm like, (laughs) 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 what? (laughs) So, we did, and what I just told you about her really running the show, that was what happened. I'm like, I will be the face, and I'll talk when I absolutely have to, because I don't like talking in front of people, but... If, if I have notes to read, I can deal with that, but to actually, you know. So anyways, that's what we did. And then that fall, they came to us and said, we're thinking about starting a children's ministry, Awana. Would you guys be interested in running Awana? And I thought, what? You know, are you crazy? So we did that too. And same thing. She pretty much ran the stuff and was organized, and I was like the guy that stood up and was like, all right, kids, come on over. We're going to sing a couple songs, and then I'm sending you to your classes. And then I'd go to Eric and be like, okay, so what's next? <laughs> you know, that was, that was pretty much, so now you've got to do this, this. Okay, all right, I can do that. So that was pretty much how it all went. And, uh, and then a few months later, the pastor who started Churchill decided God was moving him away. And in that time, Pastor Wiley was the assistant, and it was, all right, we need to find a new pastor. And uh, for some reason, Pastor Wiley, he didn't involve me, but, well, a little bit, but he included me in a lot of things that were going on. He said, you know, you're in the youth ministry, you're, you know, leading the youth ministry, Erica and I really, not just me. He said, I want you guys to know so you can kind of be planning and knowing what's going on. And I don't know, it's just through that process, it was actually the day that, Pastor Brady stood before the church and said, this is what 
God's doing right now. He's moving my family and I away. So we're going to resign as of this date. And I remember it was an emotional mess that day for everyone pretty much in the church. And some people got up and stormed out. They were mad. Uh, I mean, the church pretty much split in half. I mean, especially when Pastor, I shouldn't say it like that, but when Pastor Wiley was voted in, like a bunch of people left. The church went from like 150 to like 70 people, something like that. I don't remember the exact figures, but, but they're two very different people. Pastor Brady had been a youth pastor, gone to Bible college to be a youth pastor, was very entertaining and dynamic, and he would repel from the pulpit, you know, as an illustration and have cars out in the parking lot, Corvettes and all. Like, he just was, did things in a very big, entertaining kind of way. And he would leave you with a thought, but not a lot of Bible depth. But a lot of people were really drawn to that. Pastor Wiley is, he's still dynamic, but he's not doing the big illustrations and doing all that stuff. And uh, some people just, he was new to preaching. He hadn't been preaching for 10 years. He was pretty new to preaching, so was learning. And some people didn't respond as well to it, so a lot of people left. But you know what happened was over time, the ones who stayed grew. The ones who left, a few of them came back. And then God brought new people, and over time the church went from being big but shallow spiritually to not as big, still got pretty much as big, but much more spiritual depth. You know, they, people knew their Bibles better. They understood what God expected from them more, and they understood all that. So anyways, I don't know why I told you all that. I am never going to get through this message. 1 Corinthians 1, beginning in verse 21. It says, for after, oh, so through that, that's when God called me to be a pastor, was during all that whole emotional hoopla and everybody crying and being, and I was crying, I'm not going to lie, I was devastated he was leaving at that time. He was the first pastor I really had grown and built a relationship with. Um, I, you know, any church I'd always been in, I was a kid, and the few we were in as adults, we didn't stay long enough to really connect with, but Pastor Brady I had, and then Pastor Wiley as the assistant, and it was through that process, God placed it on my heart that he wanted me to be a pastor, and that rolled in all of the fears and concerns and all that stuff, and, and God led me to this passage. It says, for after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Here's where it really hit me. For ye see your calling brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen <laughs> the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are. Why would God do that? Why would God use the weak things of the world, the foolish things of the world, those who are not mighty, well, it tells us right here, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, 
let him glory in the Lord. Why does God use the weak to do the mighty? So that when the mighty is accomplished, they're not getting the glory for it. They couldn't have done it without him. So it's him that did it, not that weak person. So when we build a building, it's not Nathan Pelkey, it's not you all, but it's God that does it. When we send out a church planter or a pastor and they go somewhere, like my brother, and God really blesses and uses them, it's not Nathan Pelkey, it's not Bible Tr Baptist Church, it's not Brandon Pelkey, but God does it. And that's what he wants, is to do it through us, but he doesn't want us to take the credit for it and to take the glory for ourselves, but he wants us to give it to him. So, 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature. This is when, when he was going to look for a replacement for King Saul, who had, who had not been doing a very good job. It says, Because I have refused him, for the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. You know, God sent Samuel to find a replacement for King Saul, and he told him to go to Jesse, and he brought out, Jesse brought out all his sons, but his youngest son, David, he left behind to tend the sheep because he was just a kid. He was just a weakling. He was a nobody. All these older sons, they were somebody. They were mature. They'd accomplished things. They were rugged. They had it all going for themselves. And he brings them out one by one, and God says, nope, nope, nope. And at the end, Samuel says to Jesse, he says, do you have any more sons? Like, is this it? Because God's saying no to all these guys. And he said, well, I have one more, but he's just a kid, and he's back tending the sheep. I left him behind because surely I thought this kid's not, not going to be the next king. And he says, well, get him. So he comes, and God says, yep, why did God choose David? Because he was mighty? Because he was accomplished? Because he had done so many great and amazing things? No, he chose David because he didn't look on the physical stature. He didn't look on his accomplishments. He didn't look on what he had done. He looked on his heart. And God said, though David's not a great and mighty man right now, his heart is right. And I can work with him. And I can do great things through him. And I can get the credit for it because his heart is what it needs to be. So God does not look for people who are qualified. He qualifies people that often seem unlikely. That's what he does. This way he gets the glory and not the other way around. It's not, this guy knows how to do everything. He's got it all figured out, so we're going to have this guy. Sometimes even in ministry, that's what we think. You know, we think, well, we're going to get the person that's most qualified instead of the person, instead of praying and seeking God's wisdom on who is the best person for the, for the job. Verse 18, back in Romans chapter 4, we are going to get through it. Might have to be after lunch, but I'm just kidding. I think we'll get through it. Verse 18. I love this verse. So Abraham believed God, the same God who quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Didn't seem like they'd be the right ones, but God called them anyways, used them anyways made them into something that they weren't before, verse 18, who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. So what does this against hope mean? What is that talking about? The first time we see hope in the Bible is in Ruth 1.12. It 
It says, turn again, my daughters. This is Ruth. Her sons are dead. Her husband's dead. They're in the land of the Moabites. And she's got two daughter-in-laws who were married to his, her two sons who passed away. And Jewish custom and law was that if you're married, if a woman's married to a guy and he passes away and they don't have any kids, then she'd marry the next brother and he would have a baby and that would inherit the older brother's stuff and then the new brother's would be the next son, basically, is how it worked. That was their tradition and their law. So Ruth's saying to her daughters-in-law, look, go another way. I'm too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband also not, uh, tonight and should also bear sons, she's saying if I had hope that I could do this, maybe it would happen, but I'm too old. I can't have a husband. I can't have sons. And further down in the passage we're not going to look at, she basically says, even if I could, are you going to hang around for the next 18 years, 20 years, until they're old enough for you to marry? And, like, is that really going to happen? So she's sending her daughters-in-laws away. They're both Moabitess women. Stay here. I'm going back to Israel. But if you know the story, if you're familiar with it, Ruth sets a tremendous example of faith. And God blesses her and Naomi, and eventually Ruth ends up in the line of Christ. Actually, she is Jesse's mother, if I remember correctly which is David's father. And we know all about King David. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. But learn about him. It's pretty cool stuff. So Naomi's expressing this. She has no hope. Well, here in our verse 18, Abraham says, it says of Abraham, who against hope. Why, why is it against hope? Well, because from a human perspective, Abraham is 100 years old. Sarah is 90 years old. And God has promised them that they're going to have a seed that's going to outnumber the stars of heaven and the sands of the seas, so it's against hope, because anybody here planning to live to be 90 and 100 years old and then start a family? It's physically not possible, right? I mean, you're almost there, but no, you're not really, Brother Joe. I'm just kidding. Yeah, right, right. I mean, it just doesn't happen. It can't happen, you know, not without adoption anyways. It goes against nature, right? So why then did Abraham believe God? Because God had said that he would do it. Abraham believed him. He just believed God's promise. God said, I'm going to give you a son. And even though the, the age is unnatural, it doesn't seem possible, it doesn't seem like it should happen or wasn't possible, humanly speaking, God says, hey, I'm going to give you guys a seed. Genesis chapter 15, if we look there quickly. Genesis chapter 15. Beginning in verse number 4. Genesis 15 and verse 4. It says, And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir. That's speaking about, uh, come on, Ishmael. No, yeah. Be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. Well, we've seen that before, haven't we, in other New Testament passages, in Galatians 3.6 a few minutes ago. 
So this goes along with the end of verse 17, which says, He calleth those which be not as though they were. It doesn't make sense that a 90-year-old woman and a 100-year-old man would have a child. As they were, it's impossible. But against hope, he believed in hope. That's a pretty amazing statement about the faith of Abraham. It was against hope because it was unnatural. It didn't make sense. It couldn't happen, but he believed in hope, and God would bring it to pass. Verse number 19, Abraham did not have a weak faith. I love this. It says, and being not weak in faith. If only, if only God could say that about us more often, right? Being not weak in faith. It says, he considered not his own body, now dead. Remember, he believed the God that quickeneth. He considered not his own body, now dead, when he was about an hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb, even though it was physically impossible. Now, Genesis 17, 17 tells us, Then Abraham fell upon his face and laughed, and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is an hundred years old? And shall Sarah, that is 90 years old, bear? Well, in our Romans passage, it says he didn't consider their bodies. He didn't consider the fact. Whoops, I got ahead, didn't I? There it is. Sorry about that. Uh, he didn't consider those things. That's what it says in, in Romans. Well, Genesis tells us that Abraham, it shows us that Abraham wasn't a perfect man. So I wanted to point that out because do we have any of us in our Attempts at living by faith, do we ever have any doubts? I do. I doubt at times. There are times I think, how is this going to happen? How is this going to work out? How is this going to come to pass? Well, Abraham dealt with that too. He laughed and said, is this really going to happen? I'm, I'm 100, she's 90. Well, according to Romans, when push came to shove, where Abraham ultimately landed was that he believed God. Now we can go to Hebrews. Don't lose your place in Romans. We're going back there eventually. Hebrews chapter 11. Our theme passage for this year is Hebrews 11. It's hard to go talk about faith without touching on Hebrews 11. Beginning in verse number 8. It says, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed and he went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age. That means she was not physically able to bear a child, but she did anyways. How? Because God enabled her to. Because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there even of one. In him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky and multitude and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. That is what God did for Abraham. Now, don't lose your place in Hebrews either, because we're going back there in a second, but in verse 20, if you keep your place in Hebrews, we're actually going to go to Hebrews 3 in a moment, but back in chapter uh, verse 20 of our Romans passage, it says, He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, 
but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. You know what we do when we're strong in faith? Even though the thing's not done yet, and even though we can't see how it's going to be done, the strength of our faith causes us to give glory to God because we trust that He is going to do it, and it's going to be accomplished. That's what faith does. It says, He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. Hebrews 3 tells us what, there we go, Hebrews 3 tells us what unbelief does, beginning in verse 8. It says, Harden not your hearts, as in the provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness. It's called the provocation because Israel provoked God. Verse 9, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. Wherefore I was grieved with that generation, and said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, their brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Maybe you know the story, maybe you don't. Israel sent twelve spies to spy out the land that God had promised to them. Two of them, Joshua and Caleb, came back and said, it's what God said it was going to be. Look at these grapes. They're such a big cluster. We've got to carry them between us on a pole because they're too heavy for one person to carry. I mean, that's the size of these grapes. And God said it was a land flowing with milk and honey. They said, that's what it is. But the other ten says, but there are great walled cities and there are giants in the land and where is grasshoppers in their sight? Surely we cannot go in and defeat this land. We will be killed. And Israel believed the ten, and the result was their unbelief provoked God to send them back into the wilderness and say, 40 years until all these adults are gone, you're going to wander in the wilderness because of your unbelief. And I wonder how many times as Christians we do some wandering because of our unbelief. Abraham says of him, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. This is where I want to live my life. This is where I want to do my best to hang out, if you will. And surely there will be times when I'm like Abraham was back in Genesis 17, 17, where I laugh at the promises of God and say, how is this going to work out? I don't see how this is all going to come to pass. I probably won't laugh, more like cry, knowing me. But, uh, you know, I might think, how is this going to all come to pass? But we need to trust God. So, 2 Timothy 1, 12, actually first verse 21 in our passage, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. That was where Abraham, that's why Abraham was strong in faith and was able to praise God or glorify, give glory to God, was because he was fully persuaded what God had promised he was able to do. In 2 Timothy 1, 12, it says, For the which cause I also suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. The Apostle Paul knew who he believed and had no doubt he could do what he said. In verse 22 of our passage, it says, And therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. We talked about what that word imputed means. It means... You know, actually, we just saw in another verse, I forgot to point it out, but it says it was accounted unto him for righteousness. So that word imputed is like it's accounted. It's applied to the account. 
it is charged to the account, or I guess with righteousness, maybe it would be credited to the account. I don't know how it works, but it is a payment that covers everything else that was already on the account and anything else that could have been applied to the account later on. It's imputed for righteousness. Now, we know what the Bible says. Actually, we're going to define imputed real quick. 2 Samuel 19, 19. It says, And said unto the king, Let not my Lord impute iniquity unto me, neither do thou remember that which thy servant did perversely the day that my Lord the king went out of Jerusalem, that the king should take it to his heart. In verse 8 of our Romans passage, it says, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. It means it's not applied to their account. It's not put to their account. So what we're gathering from this is that Abraham's faith caused God to apply righteousness to Abraham's account. You know what the Bible says about men in righteousness? As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. We've talked about that in the weeks past, that no one is righteous. All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Well, then how can we be considered righteous? Well, Abraham was because of his faith. That's what caused God to impute righteousness to his account. Uh, verse 23, it says, Now it is not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him. So God tells us that it was imputed to him for righteousness, not just for Abraham's sake. It's not so everybody can say, Well, look at Abraham, he was a righteous dude. That's not why God did it. Well, why did he? Well, verse 24, But for us also, to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. That's why God did it. He recorded it so that we can know. If we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. So God records for us, and he tells us numerous times in the scriptures. I don't know exactly how many times. I'd have to go and do a search. But multiple times in the scriptures, it says Abraham believed God, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. The last two verses I'm going to look at are still in our text, but it's the first two verses of the next chapter. It says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. I couldn't touch on this passage seeing it's about salvation and not touch on salvation. I couldn't do that. So, what's justified? I'd said earlier... Justified is made just as if we were never sinners. So how are we justified? Well, the same way we are having righteousness imputed to our account. It is by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, have you believed? Have you been declared righteous? Have you been justified? If not, you can be today. How about Christians? Could we say that we are strong in faith? Or would we have to say we're weak in faith? You know, trials, as much as we loathe them, as much as we despise them, God has a purpose for them. Romans 8, 28, isn't it? All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. You know why He brings things in and works them for our good? It's for our good and for His glory. So as much as we despise trials, 
God allows them or brings them to grow our faith and to help us better glorify Him. So are we strong in faith? Do you believe God is able to do what He's promised to do? As a church, do we believe God is able to build the new building? <laughs> I believe He is. And in fact, I guess I don't know if we can say it's stronger than believe, but I know He can. I know He will. But I can't do it. And you can't do it. He has to do it. Now, He wants to use us. But we're just playing a part, and we are essentially tools in the master's hand. I'll be a hammer if he needs me to be a hammer, or I'll be a saw if he needs me to be a saw, or I'll be a ladder if he needs me to be a ladder, but I can't be all things at all times. So I say that just to say, I'll need help. Um, you know, how do we exercise our faith? Well, there may be times where it's helping, coming and helping. There may be times where God puts it on our heart to give. There may be times where we have a need, and maybe there's a means to that need. Like, we got to put a heating system in. We gotta, we're going to need, uh, we have access to a gravel pit, and we have access to a backhoe, but we don't have a way to haul it as of right now, so we might, we're going to need to figure out a dump truck. And there are places you can rent them. They're expensive, but we can do it. You know, all these things are going to come up over the next several weeks. Um, well, months. And I have no doubt God will provide them. And we're going to have to pay for some things, and we may see God just say, oh, here's this. Man, it's not going to cost you anything. And God will do that too, and he has already, like the gravel, for instance. Um, so we just have to trust God in each step of the way. So this afternoon, as I already said, we're going to go out, and uh, I'll throw the flags back in real quick, and then we will um, go out and just look at it, and then we'll have some time of prayer. Um, well, that's what I have for today. Have you been declared righteous? Have you been, have, has righteousness been imputed to your account? And do we have strong faith? Are we strong in faith? Or do we stagger with unbelief? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this time in your word. And I pray, Lord, that you would apply it to each heart exactly as you see fit and as you need to. I know we kind of ran two different paths here. Dealing with having a strong faith for the Christian. And Lord, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you as their Savior, then dealing with our faith being what causes you to impute righteousness to us. It's by grace. It's a free gift through faith. And Lord, regardless of where each person stands today, I pray that you would address these things in our lives. And Lord, if we're living our life with a weak faith, with unbelief, staggering at your promises, then Lord, I pray you would help us to have a strong faith Lord, if it's something else, if, we're, if someone's here and they don't know you as their personal Savior, then Lord, I pray you would address that in their lives. And I pray they'd get it settled today. We keep our eyes closed and our heads bowed. Is there anyone here today that would slip up their hand and say, Pastor, I know I'm not a Christian. 
I know I'm not saved. I know that righteousness has not been imputed to my account, but I'd, I'd like to know how I can be saved, how I can be a child of God, how I can have the peace of God or be at peace with God, as we just saw in Romans 5. If you're here today, you want to know for sure that one day you'll spend eternity in heaven. Would you just slip up your hand? I know I'm not saved, but I want to be. Would you just slip up your hand? How about Christians? I won't ask you to raise your hand, but maybe you're here and you would say, I've been weak of faith. I've been staggering with unbelief over this thing in my life or that thing in my life or whatever else might be going on. I have been struggling with faith. You know, God can work miracles. I'll tell you a quick story. I'll make it quick. Marlene, do you mind if I tell everybody about the whole thing that just happened? So the doctors told Marlene they thought she had cancer. And all the symptoms that were there, people who had known loved ones that had the same exact type of cancer they suspected, said, oh yeah, it's cancer. And when my loved one was diagnosed, it was like three weeks and they were gone. It was fast. And they were saying there's, everyone was pretty much giving up hope. But you know, we kept praying and believing that God could heal or that God could work it out that it was something else, even though at times, even the ones that had that faith were going, but I don't know, everything seems to point. And rightfully so, I guess, for all intents and purposes, that's what it seemed like. But you know, when we finally got the results, not cancer at all. And what a, what a trial. That was weeks of just waiting for tests and answers to find out all the stress and all the worry while it seemed merited in man's eyes, in God's eyes, it wasn't. Because it ended up not being what the doctor said it was. I just want to encourage us. While we might be moved to be weak in faith, let's make like Abraham and have a strong faith, glorifying God for what we trust and know He's going to do because He says He's going to do it. Pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the faith of Abraham and the example that he is to us. Help us not to be weak in faith. Help us not to stagger in unbelief, but help us to take the promises that you've made to us and to believe them, having no doubt as Abraham being fully persuaded that you are able to do what you said you're going to do. Help us to understand that you don't always use the most likely, but you use people who are unlikely so that you can get the honor and glory for whatever is done through them. And so it is evident, it is clear. Sometimes I think, how is a church of 25 people going to build a building like this? But we're going to do it. Rather, Lord, you're going to do it. And when it's done and we look at it and say, well, a church of 25 people didn't do it, the God of that church of 25 people did. I just pray you'd help us to have great faith through this process.
to believe you and to trust you every step of the way. Help us not to be weak in faith. Help us not to waver, but help us to trust you and know that you are able and you are going to accomplish what you say you're going to accomplish. Father, we love you and we praise you and thank you for all you do. Bless the food to our bodies next door. Bless the fellowship. We pray that